Today's daf is daf Kufi Dalit, page 114 in Meseches Yavamis. And we got up to daf Kufi Dalit, but we're going to go back. Let's go back to the bottom of Kuf Yud Gimel Amadveiz to Rabbi Yitzchak Bar Bisna. All right? Two lines from the bottom. We all got the place. Two lines from the bottom. Fascinating daf ahead of us, as always. We're going to have a tremendous focus on the laws of a katan, the laws of a minor, and how the halachas pertain to a katan. Uh, when it comes to transgressions. Rav Yisak Bar Bisno, Irach Sulei, Miftichei, Mibdebei Midrav, Vavosho. Rav Yisak Bar Bisno, lost the keys to the yeshiva. Oh, now, now that we, towards the beginning of the daf, so we could tell our jokes. Yeah, we have time for jokes. Time for some uh, Gitta Maisa. So this is one we for sure have shared, but there was a Gabai who comes to the shul and he lost his keys. His keys aren't there, he left it at home. He's not sure where it is. So he goes running back. He lives two miles from the shul. He comes back. Stavning on Shabbos morning is supposed to start at 8 o'clock. And he finally shows up at 9 o'clock with the keys. Okay. So the Rav gets up in shul at the drasha. And he says, I need to apologize to two groups of people. I want to apologize to everyone who came at 8. And we kept them waiting till 9. And I want to apologize to everybody who came on 9. And planned on being late. And ended up being on time. I need to apologize to you too. Okay. Yeah, all right. Get gezakt. You know, sometimes you walk into a shul and it, they're like up to uh, Barhu. Yeah, and like you're like, oh, this is gone's fine. And somebody comes over, they're like, oh, you want to start a new minion? You're like, ah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. This was kind of my plan right now. Okay, so if Yisak Bar Bisna came to, came to the yeshiva, he didn't have his keys. Bershusarab Meshabot, and it was the keys were in Bershusarab on, on Shabbos. Also, came the Rav Pedos. He came in front of Rav Pedos. Amar Lei, Rav Pedos said, Zil, go ahead. Top of today's daf. Get some young boys and girls. Tell them there's a good game going on where you lost your keys. Oh, if they see the keys, yeah. Still pick up the keys. And they will bring them to the shul. They'll recognize the keys and bring them over. So kind of you're, you're kind of going to cause them to... You're, you're not telling them to transgress Shabbos, but if they're... You're kind of leading them to the place where they could possibly help you through a Shabbos transgression. Okay, that was the statement. Says the Gemara, Alma, we see from this advice of Rev Pedas, Kasava, Rev Pedas must hold, even if a minor were to eat shreif, a bezin doesn't need to stop that kid. You don't need to stop a kid. If there's going to be a transgression with a child, there's no obligation to stop it. Okay. Says the Gemara, one second. Should we say there is a raya? Should we say there is a proof? A person is not allowed to say to a child, bring me a key, or bring me my stamp, my signature, my seal. But what you could do is you can allow the person, or you can allow the child to kind of if they're already transgressing, allow them to continue transgressing. So you see from here as well that consistent, you're not allowed to directly tell a katan to be Mechal Shabbos. But if a katan on their own, if a minor on their own decides to transgress Shabbos, there's no obligation to stop them. Which is what, our, which is what uh, Rav is trying to prove from Rav Pedas's opinion. Where, he's, where he advised, you know, let them go play in the area where you lost your keys. Amar Abayi says, no. That Bryce, the, the Bryce is talking about where the katan is only Tailish uh, pulling out from a otzitz, from a flower pot. And this is a big yeshivish word. You ready? Unperforated. Unperforated. In all yeshivas, you're going to hear otzitz nakov and otzitz she'enay nakov is a perforated flower pot and an Unperforated flower pot, big sugya. Zayrik bekarmelis derabbanan. Like you're throwing it into a karmelis, which is derabbanan, which means that you know when it's derabbanan, the um, there's no obligation to stop. But when it's the, when it's the orisa, then perhaps there is an obligation to stop this child. Okay. Now let's explain just for a moment what's this halacha of a perforated flower pot and an unperforated flower pot. So this is something that's amazing. Any flower pot that you have with holes in bottom, even if it is above the ground, draws nutrition through the air into that flower pot. This has major Shabbos ramifications. Major ramifications. You know why? 
Let's say you're, people, somebody wants to make a fancy schmancy Shabbos Kiddush in their backyard. And they take flower pots. And uh, they make it their centerpieces. Okay? If, now, if there's holes and there's grass around, that, that flower pot is going to be drawing nutrition from the ground. If you were to try to move that on Shabbos, that is a big, big issue of, of um, pulling something out of the ground even though you're not literally, but what am I doing? I'm just moving a flower pot. I know, but it's perforated. There's holes in it. And therefore, you're causing it now to draw less nutrition than it was getting before. And it's as if you're, you're removing something and bombish plucking it out of the ground, as opposed to something which is a unperforated flower pot. That's only Xera der Abanon. That's what Abaye is pointing out of here. Again, says Abaye, your whole proof that you don't need to stop a katan is not a proof. You know why? Because maybe we're only dealing with a, per- a flower pot that is not perforated. And by a dinder abanon, that's when you don't need to stop a child. But when it's dinder isa, perhaps you do need to stop a child. Hence, there's no proof that, that um, from, from the brisa that Rav Padas is correct. There's no proof. Who says that you're allowed to bring a child to do something that's going to be a biblical transgression? Okay. All right. So let's get back to, to uh, this halacha. Toshma. Come and listen. We're still, and this is going to be, again, all of today's daf. Is going to be a big focus on the halacha surrounding a cotton. If you have a non-Jew who wants to put out a fire, he sees a Yid's house on fire. So he grabs a fire extinguisher. And there's nobody's life in danger. This is just a person's property. Okay? They have their, their house that's, uh, that's in danger. And there's no danger of it spreading. That would be different. Maybe if there's a, you know, a gas b- burst, you know, in today's homes, maybe there's a bigger uh, a room for leniency to actually uh, put out the fire because it could bring to broader danger. However, over here, you have a Yid's house on fire and there's no, you know, there, uh, nobody's threatened by this. And a guy goes ahead and Shabbat uh, and he wants to put out the fire. They shouldn't say, yeah, yeah, please, put it out, put it out, put it out. And they also don't need to say, don't put it out. So you shouldn't tell the guy, please put out the fire. And you're also not allowed to tell the, you also don't need to tell the guy, don't put it out. You don't need to stop the guy. Okay. Because he is not, has no obligation of Shabbos. And therefore a Yid has no obligation to tell him what to do and what not to do. Now, katan That's a non-Jew. What about a katan? Of a young child, eight nine years old, sees a fire. The kids taught in school. Baruch Hashem, they teach a kid in school. What do you do when you see a fire? You put the fire out. Yeah. So the child wants to put the fire out. You are obligated to tell the child we do not put out fires on Shabbos. Why? Sheshvi sasai aleim. Because the obligation of keeping Shabbos doesn't only apply to a Gadol, it applies even to Ketanim. So you see from here, you need to stop children being Mechal Shabbos. So what is with Rav Padas saying, go get the kids into the street to bring your keys? What does that mean? Listen to this incredible. No. I'll tell you the difference. When a child is doing something because... The, because he's doing it to please his father, that's when you have a problem. But when you have a child who's doing something because they're just in the mood, they're in the mood, they're playing. They're playing in the street. Yeah, I found keys. It's not because I'm trying to make anybody proud of me. It's not because there's anybody. Uh. So then we say you can allow it, um, you can allow the child to just uh, do their thing. The Kavaseid, Gabi Gechavim, um, what about by a non-Jew, are we going to allow a, a guy, by a mirror, as we say on Shabbos, to say something to a non-Jew? If he, let's say he's doing it um, to, make the, uh, to make the Jew happy. All right, let's say the Jews, his employer, whatever. He's doing it because he knows, the same way a child knows he's going to make his daddy proud. This guy wants to do it because he's going to make uh, the, the Jew proud. Mishari, are we going to allow him to put out the fire? Maybe we say that again, the two circumstances should go hand in hand. A guy and a cotton, to which the Gemara answers, No, and Avikachavim always is doing it for his own benefit. Yeah? 
Even if the other Gachop is doing it because the Jew whose house is on fire is, is his employer. You think he's doing it to save his owner's, the employer's house? No. Why is he doing it? To get a raise for himself. So he's doing it. He's doing it because he's got, he's got his own vested interest. So over there, we say, Bisader, you know, you're going to have a, uh, you can actually be even more lenient. Because there's more reason to say the guy's doing it for the guy. The guy's not really doing it for the it, as opposed to a child who wants to do his own vested interest. No, he's doing it to make his daddy proud. And therefore, you're, you would be obligated to, uh, to stop the child in that situation. Okay. Says the Gemara, again, let's try to prove whether this halacha of allowing or trying to bring children to a place where they would do a Shabbos transgression is allowed. Toshma, come and listen. Ben Chaver. If you have the son of a Chaver. Remember what's a Chaver? In the Yekisha community, in the German community, they still have this title for many people. Very often it's, it's referring to a person who is a very Chashub Abalabas, a well-learned uh, individual, even if he doesn't necessarily have the title of a rabbi, a title of a rabbi, he's a chaver, a, a very well, uh, a well-learned person. Now, in the times of the Gemara, it was referring to people who are experts and and scrupulous, oh, big word, in halacha, very very careful about halacha. It's brought up most often in the laws of Meiser and Truma. They're very 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 careful to tithe their things. So you have a child of a chaver. He comes from a family where they're very careful. So you have the child of a chaver whose grandfather, now his father's a big Talmud Chacham, but his father didn't marry the daughter of a Talmud Chacham. His mother's father, this kid's grandfather, is an ignorant, is an ignorant Jew. Okay. So what do we say here? Ein chayshishin, we are not nervous. Shema yachilenu devarim she'ena misukanim. That maybe the grandfather is going to give him food that Trumas and Maisris were not separated from. There's no concern. Okay? Meaning the father doesn't have to withhold his son from going to visit the Zayd. Okay. Matzah biyadei peris. Let's say the child comes back and he's holding up some grapes, some pieces of watermelon... He's got some fruits. Ain zokukle. The father can allow the child to eat this food. Even though there's a chance that proper trumas and maestras were not taken. In Herz Yisrael? I'm asking. Yeah, yeah. Anything that grows from the ground. Fruits and vegetables. Fruits and vegetables. It grows in Herz Yisrael. You have to tie them. Yeah. Okay. Amar Rabbi Echenon. Bidamai hikilu. Rabbi Yechidin says, I'll tell you the difference. You know why over there you don't need to stop the kid? Because it might be okay. Do you know the father, do you know the father didn't separate Jumas and Miser's? No. Maybe he very well did. You don't know. It's called Demai. Maybe yeah, maybe no. Over there we're going to be lenient. But when you know a child is going to directly transgress, maybe you do need to stop him. At the time of the Demai, so what's the reason why you don't need to stop the kid? Because it's Demai. We don't know. Maybe it's okay. Havadai. Let's say we know for a fact that the food that the child's holding from the grandfather is certainly trumas and maestras were not taken from. Were not taken from it. asure. The halacha is going to be: you must tithe this fruit that the kid's holding before allowing him to eat it. That's what it seems, right? The only reason why the only we're stopping him, uh, uh, uh. But you don't need to stop him when it's demai. But it seems you would need to stop him. If you know, says, If you have a child doing something, that's when we say you need to stop him. But let's say the child is doing something not al-dasaviv. He's holding grapes. Does that make his daddy proud? No. Putting out a fire and saving the house or saving the cholent, yeah, might make his father proud. But just eating these grapes, does it have anything to do with making his father proud? No, not at all. He's just eating this fruit. And therefore, says the Gemara, a beautiful, uh, a beautiful question. A beautiful question. And that is, Rabbi Yechanan holds, you do not need to stop a kid when he's not doing it for the father. Why? Over here it says, if it's vadai, it seems to imply, if you know for a fact 
that this this food needs to be tithed, you need to stop the kid. Rabbi says let's explain Rabbi Yochanan's opinion. Really, Rabbi Yochanan is unsure. Unsure. We're really, it's not so clear to Rabbi Yochanan when a child's about to do an Avera, whether we're obligated to stop him. The kid's not obligated in a mitzvah. But he's a yid. So Rabbi Yochanan's not sure. Like, you know, what, what are the boundaries around a child doing an Avera? So therefore, he says like this. Koi hocha matchi. In one situation, matchi. You know, he's, he's, uh, he pushed off the proof by saying that, oh, you know, he's doing it al by the fire. And al that's why it's a problem. Over here as well, in the other b'risa, when it comes to eating, uh, eating the fruit, he says, oh, maybe we'll be lenient with Demai. Rabbi Yichan, bottom line, doesn't have a straight up opinion. He's just saying, I'm unsure, and there's other ways to view it. Bottom line is, we don't have a direct proof to say that Rav Padas, who allowed... Uh, the the you know who, who allowed the keys to be brought on Shabbos is correct. So Tashma, come and listen. Ben Chaver Kayan. Let's say you have the son of a well-learned person who is a Kayan. So this kid is under Bar Mitzvah. He's a child of a learned Kohen. Sheragil Lelech Eitzel Avi Imai. He goes to um, he he habitually goes to his mother's father who is a Kohen Am Ha'aretz. So the same case, the kid's father is learned, the kid's grandfather is not learned. The difference that we're adding here is, is they are both Kohanim. Okay. We're not nervous that the grandfather might feed him Truma that's Tomei. Okay? We're, we're not concerned. You could, let, you could let the kid go eat in the grandfather's house. Let's say the kid comes home with food. So now there's a more direct uh, possibility of this kid sitting. He's not just going to visit. He's actually holding the food in his hand. You do not need to take it away from the child. So again, you see from here, if a child's about to do an Avera, you don't need to stop him, which seems to be like our original halacha. Let the children go do whatever they need to do on Shabbos afternoon. If they find the keys, that's great. To which the Gemara answers, no, there's no proof, but Truma de Rabbanan. Again, we might be dealing with Truma, which is the Rabbanan, and that's what he's allowed to eat from the grandfather, but maybe by a biblical transgression, you would be obligated to stop the child. Hence, no proof that, uh, uh, you know, no proof to the halacha of, of uh, the keys that were correct. All right, so let's keep going. Says the Gemara, let's try to prove it from here. And again, this is, this whole daf is going to be about cotton. Here we go. Toshma, it's really the whole parak, but <laughs> Toshma, come and listen. Incredible. You can have a child nurse, not only from a Jewish mother, but even from a non Jewish woman, and the child can even nurse from a non kosher animal. And we're not concerned that when he nurses from this animal or he nurses from the non-Jewish woman, that whatever food, go, that, that whatever her milk is made of, it maybe something went into the child from non-kosher. Okay? Very good. Says the Gemara. So this child's allowed to nurse from a non-Jewish woman. But you're not allowed to feed the kid non-kosher food. You can't feed the kid horse meat. You can't feed the kid trephus, okay, which is even from a kosher animal, but the, the animal is found out to be a trefa. Shkatsim veramosim, creepy crawly creatures. Umikulan yainek mehem, vafilu b'shabes. And this child is allowed to even nurse from the non-Jew, the, the, the non-Jewish woman, even on Shabbos. There's no problem. Fine. Now usually... As we'll see, you're not allowed to remove something from, uh, extract something from an animal on Shabbos. Over here we're saying you're allowed to have the baby actually extract the milk on Shabbos. But by a gadol, it is aser. Now what is a gadol? So usually a gadol means an adult. That's what it usually means. Over here, gadol means an older child that is not dependent on nursing. Okay? A larger child. 
if, the, if, it's a, if it's a gadol, if it's a larger child, then we say, no, we don't allow it. Not only on Shabbos, but perhaps even in general. Abishol, Abishol says, our custom was, that animals would nurse from a kosher animal on yamtif. Fine, we'll get into this. Ketani Mia, the bottom line is, what, how does this pertain to our halacha? We said we're not nervous about uh, that when the, the child nurses, there's going to be a sheketz. What? A sheketz, uh, something uh, not kosher here. A creepy crawly, right? We're not concerned that maybe the child's going to nurse and there's going to be something that's trafe going to the child. Is that sheretz? Sheretz, yeah. I think, okay. A sheketz, I'm sorry. No, shkotzim. Shkotzim. Shkotzim are Muslim, like creepy crawly things. Yeah. Isn't that a sheretz? Yeah. No, a sheretz is a type of rodent. Oh, right? Yeah. Shrotzim are the, the shrine shrotzim, like eight types of ro- rodents. So the word, over here, the word shkotz. Mm-hmm. You hear people using that in slang. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, shkotz. Sheketz is something that's, that's disgusting. Okay. The bottom line is, you see a child... The, uh, are, are we allowing the child to nurse even though there might be a sheketz here? Yeah, absolutely. So you see, it's okay for a child to do an Avera. So Yomar says, no, the reason why you're allowing the child to nurse is because there's danger. If the kid has nothing to eat, the kid's got nothing to eat. Even when it's an older child. If we're dealing with a life-threatening thing, why do we say an, old, an older child cannot nurse? Anybody should be allowed to. Yomar says, Godoboy omdena. No, you know why? If it's a young baby, uh, uh, you know, uh, a suckling, that's all that a child could do. So then we, there's an automatic assumption that it's okay. If it's a larger kid, you got to start researching. You got to research. Godo boy umdana. Umdana means you have to establish the child to absolutely need it before feeding the non-kosher. Okay, because sometimes, here's how it works. And this is probably situations that have the most common Shabbos questions, at least the, that, that come to me, very often are things which are unusual situations where somebody feels that they need to do some element of a transgression on Shabbos. And the question really is, the first thing you need to look at is, sometimes there's room for leniency. But before you even look for the leniency on Shabbos, is it something that can be manipulated to be done at a different time? Let's say you need to take a medication at a set time. Or there has to be a, a, a type of a machine that needs to be turned on for various reasons. Or a test that needs to be done at the same time every single day for various reasons. And this test is a whole sh- it's, it's a Shabbos transgression. So before you start looking into, into Shinoi and, and doing it in an unusual way and minimizing the whole Shabbos. Well you can ask, you know, the first place you want to go to is can you kind of make your time... So it's got to be done every, you know, 24 hours or so. Can you do it right before Shabbos? And then right after Shabbos, and it's 24 hours and 45 minutes apart. Can you pull that off before you even start looking for, for leniencies? And that, that's the umdana that we're going to do with the gadol over here. With the older child, we're going to say, listen, can this older child be okay with, um, you know, with going through a Shabbos without having to uh, transgress? And then we would try to manipulate that. Why aren't we concerned by a katan? A young child also. If you could kind of get around this. So even a, even a young infant, why not? No, a young child, you don't, need to, you don't need to try to manipulate that. It's such a beautiful, beautiful concept. You know why? There's already a, a um, we'll call it a chazaka, so to speak. Like a status. There's a status. A young enough child needs food when it comes to having nutrition, when it comes to having milk, and therefore you don't, you don't need to go about it. You don't need to go, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, cross-examining whether or not, you know, the, which is a beautiful message. You know, there, there's a proper time to look deep into things, and then there's a proper time to know that there's a chazaka, you just do it, and that. Uh, and, it, and it's okay. And the reason why I'm saying, you know, to me, I know what's going on in my mind as I'm saying this, but a classic example is going to be sometimes if somebody's sick, let's say on a fast day, or somebody's elderly, you know, and, and what type of fast day is it? If it's not Yom Kippur, and it's not a biblical fast, and we know Tisha B'Av also is a, is a severe fast, there's also a conversation in that, but there, there are certain times where 
people are so used to, do, you know, just trying to fast on a fasting, whatever, and then they get to a certain, uh, sometimes people are sick, or sometimes people get to a certain age, and they really want to look like kind of mutter and, and make it make, make the fast work. And then there's times where we tell them, listen, th- it's, you know, this type of fast, it's wrong to try to, you know, take the risk of getting sick. On this type of fast, don't go so far. It's, you know, don't try to... It's, it's like a tinnik over here. It's like a child. This infant, we're not going to try to manipulate anything. The child's the child. There's a chazoka. You're good. It's a lighter fast. You're at this stage of, of wellness. It's okay. Like, you don't need a, you don't need a mutzuzich. And there's other times where, no, you do need to. When a person's a little healthier, but has a little bit of a headache, whatever, okay, so then, then there's something to talk about, right? Then we say, no, let's, let's give a strong evaluation. Okay. Abishol, I'm Abishol, say, yeah, fine. Beautiful. Two dots. Abishol, I'm Abishol says, We had a custom that children would nurse from kosher animals on Yamtif. Says Gemara, what's he kicking in over here? What's he, how's he helping us? Is he helping us? Challenging, hey, Chidami, what is the case of Abishol? If this child is in danger, I feel Abishabis, Nami. There's nothing to do with Yamtif. Even on Shabbos, the child can nurse. If there's no danger, if you'll be Yom even on Yom it should be forbidden. Okay, as we're going to see, you're not allowed to nurse on Yom Tif. Now, I'll tell you the Kiddush. There's no, there's no Sakana. There's no danger, but there is pain. There's discomfort to this baby if it doesn't nurse. Because Savar, and we hold, Abishol saying, Mifare Kilaachar Yahu, that when you, when you nurse straight from the animal, that's called a Shinoi. That's called a Shinoi. Yeah, when I was a kid, it was a joke. Why did the dumb person, how did the dumb person die drinking milk? And the answer was, the cow sat down. Okay, that was the answer. Yeah? Okay. So now, that's not the regular way to be drinking milk. Right? That's not what you're supposed to do. So says the Gemara, Shabbos, as far as Shabbos is concerned, the Isser Skila, where there is an Isser Skila, there's a, where, you know, if a person transgresses Shabbos in the regular manner, so God's Rabbanon, the Rabbanon made a decree also that, that uh, the, we should, shouldn't be nursing from an animal. But Yomtif, the, the Isser Lav, when it comes to Yomtif, where there's no Isser Skila, there's no death penalty. However, it is a Lav, it is a Lav, in the, you know, it's a, it's a negative commandment, the Rabbana did not make a decree about nursing from an animal when the child is in Tsar. So the Gemara is basically moving away from the case of Sakana, from danger, and entering the parameters of Tsar. And when an infant's in Tsar, the Rabbana are lenient when it comes to removing milk in an unusual way. Toshma, come and listen. You know, when it comes to the Shkotzim Veramosim, the creepy crawly creatures, the Torah says, you're not allowed to eat them. You know why? Kishekatzim, because they are disgusting. You shouldn't eat them. To warn them about the Katanim as well. That the same way Gedaylam and Allah to eat them, so too Katanim should not eat them. So you see from over here, you're obligated to say to a child, don't eat that. Don't eat that. You see, you see that you're obligated to stop children. Says Gemara, lie. No, no, it's a wrong inference. The lie, leispu lehu biadaim. You know what it means? Don't hand it over to them. That's all it means. Doesn't mean you're obligated to stop them. In the question, we said, oh, you see, la hajikdal makadana means the gadol means to stop a cotton. Says Gemara, no. You know what it means? An adult, an adult is is uh, is not obligated. Uh, I'm sorry. An adult is not allowed to give it to a cotton to do the avera. But let's say the cotton already is in a situation where they're doing the avera on their own. No, then the Allah would be there's no obligation to stop the to stop the child. Okay, Tashma, come and listen. Call Nefesh Every person amongst you is not allowed to eat blood. Again, to warn the Gedalim about the Katanim, that the same way it's forbidden for a Gadol to drink Dam, so to a Katan says the Gemara, my love. Are we dealing with Damrilu Laisaihlu with the the Gadaim are obligated to tell the child don't eat it? Like light list will be a dime. It doesn't mean you're obligated to tell the child don't eat it. Rather, all it means is you're not allowed to feed it to them. But if a child's doing it on their own, it is permitted. Okay? So again, we have no proof against our original 
uh, we have no proof against our original halacha. Okay. Mamish Gavaldik. Mamish Gavaldik. In other words, Rav Padas's, this whole Lama so far, what is all this about? Rav Padas's story, right? Where we forgot the keys in Rosh Hashanah, and then Rav Padas gave this, gave this leniency. Toshma. Come and listen. Amar Varmarto. When it says that a Kohen is not allowed to become impure, it says both Emar and Viamarta. It's like a double expression of telling the Kohen, don't become impure. It says it twice. Why say it twice? To warn the G'daylem to even that even a Kohen who is a Katan is not allowed to become impure. My love, Damar It doesn't mean that a Kohen is obligated to tell the child, do not become Tomei. It just means a Godol is not allowed to make a Katan Tomei. Well, let's say a katan becomes tamay on his own, seder, you're not obligated to stop him. Says the Gemara, in all these cases, right, we just gave a few examples where the Torah told us to warn the adults about the katanim and we thought it meant to stop them from performing the Avera. And in each case, the Gemara said, no, you know what it means? You're not allowed to bring them to the Avera and cause the, hand them the Avera, but you're, you still don't need to stop them. Says the Gemara, Utsrichi, and I need all these, uh, I need all these limudim, all these sources uh, t- in these three places to teach me the halacha that you're not allowed to bring the child to the Avera, but you're not obligated to stop them from doing the Avera. And let's go through each one. The Ashmina and Shkotzim, if the Torah would have only told us that the, the case of Shkotzim, that Lahazik Lelmakatana means that you're not allowed to give the child the forbidden, uh, you know, the forbidden food, I'll say, because, you know, when it comes to Shkotzev Ramasim, even a, the, a very small amount is forbidden to eat. Avodam, when it comes to blood, even the smallest amount is not forbidden. You need to drink a Revius, okay? About uh, anywhere between 2.8 and 4.4 ounces. I would say that perhaps we're more lenient. If they would have only given us the case of the blood, that you're not allowed to, te- not allowed to uh, feed the, the blood to a cotton, I would say blood, granted, it's harder to become forbidden because you need to eat more. However, once you do eat blood, there's a chi of kares. It's pretty strict. When it comes to shratzim, where there's no chi of kares, it's a biblical transgression, but there's no kares. I would say there's no warning on the katanim. And maybe you're allowed to give them the thing that they're going to transgress with. Transgress with. If they would have given me the case of the Shkotzim and the Dam, I would say, Everybody, every Yid is forbidden to eat blood. Every Yid is forbidden to eat Shkotzim. However, Avotoma, but is every Jew forbidden to become impure? No, only Kahana. So Avotoma, Emelai, I would say there's no Lahazik Malakatanim. We're lenient with it. Well, so. Now that I said it by Tumah, maybe that's the biggest Kiddush. No, that also wouldn't be enough. Because if I would just say, you don't have to stop a cotton from becoming Tumah, I would say Kahanam Shiny. The whole circumstances surrounding a Kayan is different. They got their own categories of Allah, Misham Deriba, Ben Mitzvah, They have all sorts of extra laws, maybe it applies strictly to Kahanim, that you're not allowed to hand it over directly, the Tumah thing, or you can't make him Tumah directly. But in other cases, I would say, you could give them that which is going to cause the transgression. So Avalhani, but in these other cases, Emalai, I would uh, perhaps I would say that it would be allowed. Says the Gemara. Therefore, Tricha, I need all three cases. Each one is teaching me a Chiddush again. That what I have the case of Tumah because Kaihanim. I have the case of Dam because it has a Revius, and the case of Shkotzim is which has the smallest amount is going to bring to the Isser. Toshma, come and listen. Shnei Achin, if you have two brothers, Echad Pikeach, we're, going to, it's, we're getting back a little bit into Yibum now, but it's, we're going to quote this Mishnah again to teach me the laws surrounding a Katan. So if you have two brothers, Echad Pikeach, one brother is a Pikeach, is, is a completely, uh, has their full faculties. And the other one's a deaf mute. And they marry two sisters. They married two sisters. Okay. Both sisters are fine. My uh, I skipped the place, I'm sorry. If the deaf mute died, what should the Pikeach who married the Pikachas do? Nothing. Doesn't do anything. She goes out because of Achisisha. She's the Pikeach's wife's sister, so she's not a Yavama. She's fine. The deaf mute died. So this woman's falling, my sister's falling, but 
<laughs> That's it. Like, there's nothing to do. There's no, there's no Mitzrayim. Meis pikeach bal pikachas, but if the pikeach passed away, now we got a problem. Mayas acherish bal pikachas. Now the issue is like this. The cherish was only involved in a rabbinic marriage. And now he has a biblical woman falling to him. As Yibam, Mayas acherish bal pikachas, mighty as ish to The current wife goes out with a get. Ve'eshes achav asur la'ilam. And his brother's wife is also to him also forever. Says the Gemara, but if that's true, why does he got to give her a get? Let her stay with him. Because this case of a cherish is like a katan la'ichel neveles. Now, the, the Mishnah seemed to imply we obligate them to separate. Here the Gemara is asking, how can you obligate them to separate? The same way you're not obligated to have a minor separate from the transgression, why over here are we obligated to have the cherish separate from his transgression? So Gemara says, Mishu misura dida. I'll tell you what, it's different than a katan. Because over here, this guy, even though he's a cherish, his wives are okay. And therefore, because by them staying with him, they're going to be in a full-fledged transgression, we obligate him to, uh, to give them gitten, to not keep them in a state of forbiddenness. Okay. Says the Gemara. Let's keep going. Is Rev Padas correct in his halacha that if you lose your keys in a Rishos Harabim, you're allowed to bring the kids over there and let. And if they do an Aver, they do an Aver. Here we go, Toshma. Come and listen. Two healthy brothers. One's married to a healthy woman. The other one's married to a deaf mute. And the Pikeach, who was married to the Chareshes, passed away. So now, who was left? You have a Chareshes, a deaf mute woman, as well as a uh, couple, her sister and the husband, who are totally healthy. There's no problems. What should this healthy Yavam, we'll call him, potential Yavam do? Allah is, he doesn't do anything. You know why? Because the Chareshes felt to him as an Arias, as an Erva. She's his wife's sister. So therefore, what do we learn on Dav Beis? If the woman who falls you is an Erva, you do nothing. Okay, fine. But let's say the pikeach died. He has to give his wife a get. Why do we obligate a get? Same question. Because if he stays together, she's going to have that biblical. Trans- she's going. I'm sorry. She's going to have that transgression, and you're not allowed to keep a woman in a state of of a constant transgression. Omar Rava, Rava says, Toshma, come and listen. Shnei achin echad cheres shachad bikeach. We have two brothers, one's a deaf mute and one's completely healthy. Nesuos shnei achoyah isachas bikeachas vachas chareshes. Meis chareshes bal chare. Meis cheres bal chareshes. If the deaf mute who's married to the deaf mute woman passed away, mayasa bikeach bal pikeachas. Nothing. Teitzim mishum achazisha. She goes up because of achazisha. Meis bikeach bal pikeachas. But the bikeach dies. Now we got our problem, right? Now we got a problem. Why? Because the Cheresh is only married to his wife rabbinically. And now he's got a woman falling to him biblically. So what does he do? He gives his wife a get. There's no Iser even on him or her. Neither of them are going to be obligated for, for uh, staying married. And still, we still say you're obligated to divorce. He's obligated to divorce his wife with a get. So here's the, ready? Let's bring this Gemara full circle before we get knock it off. Says the Gemara like this, beautiful. You see from over here, if we're obligating a, if we're obligating a divorce, if a katan is doing something that's forbidden, you're obligated to stop them. If we're going to stop this Heresh this from doing an Avera, we should stop a cover doing that there. So why did Rev Padas, going back to the bottom of yesterday's daf, say, go get the miners, go get the katana, and then they'll bring the keys? You're not allowed to do that. Answers the Gemara Amr of Shmaya. There's no question on, on uh, Rev Padas, because we could say in that case, about the 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 forced get, there's it's a it's a rabbinic decree because of ataras yevama lishuk. People are going to say that the wrong yevama that, that 
they're going to make a mistake in how a Yavama is permitted to the marketplace. What does it mean, the marketplace? To the general public. What other, you know, uh, permitted to other men. And let's explain for a moment. Let's say we were to allow the Cheresh and the Chareshes. Let's say we were to allow them to remain together. People aren't going to know that the reason why they're allowed to stay together is because we don't stop deaf mutes from sinning. Right? We said, you're obligated again. Why? Let, let them sin. They're not obligated. You know what I mean? It's like a katan. Why not? See, here's the problem. The problem, the, the, the forced divorce is only because on the outside, other people are going to think that you can stay together because a rabbinic relationship overrides the biblical Zika bond, which in general we know is not true. It's not true. It doesn't override it. We're just not forcing a divorce because we don't force divorces. But people are going to come to think that, you know, listen, if you're in a, regular, if you're in a rabbinic marriage, that, and that, that pre-existing concept overrides the new Yibam. And that's really not true. You may end up allowing somebody in an inappropriate setting to marry somebody to the shuk without proper chalitza. And therefore, the Rabbanan say, no, you got to get divorced. Otherwise, people are going to think your marriage is stronger than the Zika bond, and that's not true. Hence, we obligate divorce. Bottom line is, we don't, when Rav Padas said his halacha about a katan, and this, by the way, Kufya Dalit in Mesechus Yavamas, is major hak. This is major raid on, on uh, the, the laws of, of uh, Chinuch. And when, when you allow a, a kid to do an Avera, when you're not allowing a kid to do an Avera, we're walking away from this daf and ending off this parak by saying we don't have a proof that Rav Pedos is correct, that you're allowed to allow the child, and we don't have a proof that he's wrong. We don't know. We haven't proved yes, we haven't proved no. Hadron Allah, Cheresh, Hadron Allah, Cheresh, Hadron Allah, Cheresh. Gewaldik. Mazel Tov to everybody who finished the 14th parak of Meseches Yavamas. And now we begin the 15th parak of Meseches Yavamas, the 15th. And we will say the final parak. Uh, uh, no, I'm sorry, not the final parak. The, the 16th parak is short. That's at the end. The second to last parak of Meseches Yavamas. Let us get going now with the Mishnah. Gavaldik. Here we go. Says the Mishnah. Back to um, Edus. We're going to go back to testimony now. The woman goes with her husband, the Medina Sayam, to a distant country, overseas. Shalom Shalom Ba'ilam. Incredible. Yeah. Um, and everything was fine and dandy. That's how we're going to translate this. Everything was fine and dandy at the time that they left. Okay? Uba, she comes home. She says, Mace Bali, my husband passed away. Tinase, so you could officiate at her next wedding. You could testify about her next wedding. She can, get, she can remarry. Don't say she's in the grave of That's right. That's right. As long as there was shalom, as long as there was peace, we don't assume there's any reason that she is lying. She's coming back, we're going to trust that. Mace Bali, if she says my husband died, Tishyabim, her husband's brother, can do Yibam on her as well, if they were childless. Not only can she remarry somebody else, if she has children, she can do Yibam. However, let's say there was peace in their Shalom bias, but there is Melchama Ba'ilam. Incredible. There's Melchama in the world. Okay. In the world? Yeah, that's right. There's, there's Melchama in the world. Or they had no shalom bias. But there's peace in the world. And she comes back from overseas and she says, my husband's dead. We do not rely on her testimony. We do not rely on her testimony. See why soon. You know how you trust her? Not if she says my husband's dead. 
if she looks broken, if she comes back all broken up and needing to sit shiva, and she tore her clothing, and she's also broken, you know, and, uh, and then afterwards, a shidduch comes her way, then you allow her to remarry. But a woman who comes back, she's like, you know, you know, my husband passed away, whatever. That's not too broken down by it. You can't just rely on her. Amrulai, they said to, they said to Rabbi Yehuda, Achazu v'achazu tinasei. No, you're wrong. Either way, whether or not she's uh, showing like uh, tremendous grief or not, the halacha is tinasei, she is, uh, she's allowed to remarry. Okay. Now, says the Gemara, we're going to get into this whole shalom in their shalom bias and shalom in the world. Tana, we learn shalom We started out by saying, you know, when there's peace between him and her, because later on the mission, we're going to give a case where there was no shalom bias. Tana shalom bayilam, And we also spoke about shalom in their, you know, uh, in their home, uh, in, in the world, because eventually we're going to give a case where there is no shalom in the world. Now, what, what, what does it make a difference if there's shalom in the world or not? How does that play a role? Omar Rava, Rava says, a fascinating idea, ready for this? Let me tell you something, when the woman comes back and we believe her because there was shalom bias in her home and shalom bias in the world, it's not only because we believe her. But there's an added reason to believe her. And here's the reason. Because she can say, Meaning, it, it was told to her, it appeared to her, and it's not so clear that he actually died. There's a lot of rumors that go around during wartime that come out at the end, it's not necessarily true. Which is a big aside, because wartime doesn't need to be in the world. It is also in our own personal lives. People go into crisis mode, people jump at information that shocks them, and they just, either they, they say it's absolutely true, it's absolutely not true. It takes time for details to come out. And if there's wartime, where people you know, are a lot more willing to believe things without having the the expansive mind to properly check it out, maybe we're not going to have real uh, knowledge. She's going to say it like this. My husband was part, was in that tank. That tank I know was blown up. They're all dead. I haven't seen my husband's body, but I know all his friends died. We all know that's my husband's death. If you're going to say that since there was shalom between him and her, Shimamish will wait to see him dead. No, there's still a, you know, we're still concerned that there are times begira where um, she saw him with a bullet or an arrow, a spear. She saw and, and she thinks he's dead. And many times, you know, the, uh, people can be healed from these things even when it looks like they were mamish on the brink and, and uh, ultimately live on. So therefore, when it's a time of war, we do not just readily accept the testimony. We need a little more information. So thought to say, is not like war. Because she's not going to she's not unless she actually sees that he died from famine, she's not going to claim it. But then Rav said, No, it's Mamish the same. Why? He learned it from a story. Something happened that changed his mind. What changed his mind? And this is beautiful. Sometimes you have a strong opinion and then you see something straight with your eyes or you hear a story or whatever and it's like, okay, you know, what I thought previously isn't so. Tahi, there was a person, she comes in front of Rav, she says, my, my husband died from Rav. He died from, from uh, famine. Okay? Amar Law, so he says to her, You're right um, that you uh, ran away, uh, d- d- that you left your, you, you left your husband and uh, took care of yourself. Okay? Meaning, you came back, your husband's dying of famine, it's a good thing you got here healthy, Baruch Hashem. Because it could have been in that little bit of time, you know, with a little bit of time, you know, uh, is it possible that with with a little bit of time he could have lived? It is. 
It was a good thing he ran away because, like, what could you have done for him anyway to keep him alive? It is. So, Omra Lei, Mar Nami Yoda, yeah, Taka, you understand. He wouldn't have survived anyway. You're right. <laughs> Said, so what does Rav see from there? A woman's testifying about her husband. He was never really dead. Because he says, you're right for leaving, Taka. There's no way you could have saved him. She says, I know, I couldn't have saved him. It was too late. It was, you know, he was, he was on his last legs anyway. Rav says, oh, you learn from here, Taka. And then he said, not only is famine, that famine's worse than when it comes to war, when a person says, my husband died in war, so we do not believe her. But if she says that he died on his bed, meaning yeah, he passed away, we do not, uh, we, we, we do believe her. When it comes to a raven, when it comes to a famine, she has to say, he died and I was by his levaya. Yeah, I was involved in his kavura. Okay. Let's just, uh, let's wrap this up. We're going to, uh, you know, we're entering a fascinating uh, circumstances about when we uh, believe the wife about uh, her husband dying. When uh, somebody, unfortunately, was in a building that fell down. It's like battle. The Amra bid the dummy. Also, a woman says, my husband's dead. And it, she doesn't really know that he's dead. But he was in the collapsed building and there was a lot of casualties. Also, snakes and scorpions. You don't necessarily know that he died. Uh, Dever. What about, what about Dever? Some say it's like war. Some say it's not like war because... We're going to rely on this that people say. You can have a you can have dever, you can have plague for seven years. But uh, as long as the plague is, if it's not his time to go, it's not his time to go, and he'll end up not dying in the plague. They asked the question, searching for information. If she tells us that there is that if she tells us there was a war. She comes back from a distant place in Africa and says, oh, there was mamish, there was a war, and my husband died in that war. Now, we didn't know anything about it. Mahu, what's the halacha? Okay? Mi Omar, Malam Lashakir. Do we say, why would she have lied about the war? We didn't even think about, if there's no war, there's no obligation. I'm sorry, if there's no war, there, yeah, there's no lack of, of uh, trusting her. If she just says my husband died because he was old, we're going to believe her. So why did she say there was a war? You might as well believe her. There was a war. She could have said there's peace in the there was peace. My husband just died. We would have believed her. So we should believe her about the other thing as well. Or perhaps the halacha, or, or or maybe we should say Or maybe we'll say that you know either way she it seemed to be true what she's saying, and she's just making an assumption. She never tried to lie in the first place. But since based often, often off of an assumption, we should not believe her. That is the Ibailu. That's the question. We'll hold it here for today. Bez Hashem, go back to the question. Go back to the Ibailu on the bottom of, today, of uh, today's daf. We'll pick up with there tomorrow. Have a wonderful, wonderful evening.